By staying home, you can not only protect your health and that of those around you, but ensure that our healthcare professionals and our healthcare systems can focus on those who need their help. Hello and welcome to Corona Movie Club, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Um, so we have a schedule of movies and we're all going to watch them independently in our own socially isolated homes and then three times a week we're going to get together over the internet and talk about them just like your mom's old book club used to do. Um, except now there's nothing old about it because it's all over the internet and we're all social isolating so that we don't help spread the coronavirus around the universe. Um, so we have people from all over North America who are participating and there's going to be different people on each call from the uh, core group. And so every episode, I'm going to come in and introduce the film that we're going to be watching, as well as the names of the people that are going to be on that week's call or that episode's call, because we're going to be doing this three times a week. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy. Let's go to the movies. It's something to do. Today we're talking about David Fincher's 1995 neo, neo-noir psychological crime thriller, uh, Seven, which is uh, basically a hunt for a serial killer. Um, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman are the people doing the hunting, um, and Gwyneth Paltrow plays Brad Pitt's uh, wife, because obviously. And um, yeah, it, I'm not going to spoil who else is in the film because there's a big old reveal at the end that's in 2020 is like, oh, oh, why? Um, but at the time, I guess, wasn't super creepy. I don't know. I think he's always been super creepy. Anyway, um, yeah, they're hunting for a serial killer. Uh, partway through the movie, you realize that uh, the serial killer is doing their, their serial killings um, based on the seven deadly sins. Um if somehow uh, that was a spoiler for you and in, in somehow if somehow you made it that far into the movie i mean i made it shockingly far before being like oh it's the seven deadly sins um which is dumb because the movie's called seven and on the poster it says gluttony greed sloth envy wrath pride and lust which i mean that's that uh, the premise of the movie for some reason is treated like a, a revelation partway through the movie but you know you'll hear us um dissect what we think of elements of the filmmaking like the thing i just mentioned in the podcast so i hope you enjoy this is kind of a fun movie i mean it's not fun like it's dark and scary and really grotesque but it's like a fun it's well paced it's enjoyable to try and sort of solve the mystery along with them always here for young Brad Pitt obviously you know it's a a good pulpy 1995 joint you know I liked 1995 I was six with some good times okay enjoy seven had you seen seven before yes I've seen it recently actually when I actually started going through all of David Fincher's movies okay Um, and it's only number two right yeah and he would call it his number one well, um, yeah. <laughs> we count Alien 3. Yeah, he said that he he doesn't feel like that is his movie or his touch is not on it or I don't know. Like, he's he said that he doesn't like it himself. I don't know. It technically is his first movie, though. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think he's, he's allowed to that decide that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
you have to do a you have to maybe do a shitty movie or do some sort of sequel to a movie to get in right well i think he almost went backwards right i feel like most people they make their small scale passion project indie thing that like to prove themselves they make their thing and then they get plucked up by the big studio to do a giant thing um but because he came from music videos they were just like you're cool why don't you do this giant studio thing and then once he i guess it was weird though because i've never seen that movie but apparently people hate it um it's okay is it okay i mean like alien one is like the only good alien Oh, see, but that's not a universal opinion. There's a big debate between people love the sequel. Well, two is uh, Cameron. Yeah. And uh, which I did not like at all. I remember. And the third one I think was better than the second, but I mean, I enjoy the alien movies in general, like just as a fantasy sci-fi thing. Um, But the first one had everything it had the atmosphere the the pacing the everything that that was different about it right it's i mean that first movie definitely considered a classic but my question just is like i've heard that the third one's not good i mean i don't know whether that's true or not but certainly there are lots of people who don't like it so how then like how does that momentum move backwards i understand how you get the job from music videos instead of from your passion project but then how after doing sort of a big budget flop, do you then get the funding to do your passion project? Like most of his movies mm. are quite o- o- like an auteur style kind of thing. He's got a real stamp um, and he must've had a fair amount of creative freedom in making them. So how, how does that happen when all you've done is Alien 3? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Anyway, he made seven. He did. Um, I'd never seen it before. Uh, which was interesting because I also had, I sort of, I think they'd like discussed it on a podcast I really like, like years ago. So somewhere in the very back of my brain, I had some information, but I'd all, I'd forgotten it in the front of my brain. Um, and so I was about five minutes ahead of Mark, uh, Morgan Freeman with the, oh, it's the seven deadly sins, but not only five, <laughs> like not very far um, right. and had no idea. And when Kevin Spacey showed up, I literally jumped right um and it's hard to tell if that was like jumping at the revelation of a couple of things one of just the guy walking into the police station in the first place and being generally creepy two the like weird structural decision to do that when especially it was 1995 so I was really primed for some sort of twist, like a mostly usually a the call is coming from inside the house kind of twist was popular at the time. So I was right. fully expecting it to like be Morgan Freeman or something. Um, so it for oh, to yeah, be I was... a totally random guy for him to show up with like a whole 20 minutes left, like all that stuff. I just wasn't expecting it. And then there is also just a factor of like, he's the creepiest man alive. I haven't seen him in a while. I wasn't expecting him because he's not on opening credits. And so I jumped when he said hello because go away. Yeah. 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 I knew it. Yeah. When I heard his voice on the phone in his own place, that was like, Oh yeah, that's Kevin Spacey. Oh wow. So I knew I recognized it, but I couldn't place it. Mm -hmm. And at that point I had seen 
Richard Schiff's name in the opening titles. And I was so worried he was going to be the bad mm. guy that I was just spending all of my energy was trying to decipher. That doesn't sound like him, but he was really young. Could it be his voice just masked somehow? <laughs> I was so concerned that it would be Richard Schiff that like I was relieved to see Kevin Spacey, but also just like, <laughs> and yeah, but I mean, Richard Schiff was not a star, so I don't know why it would have been him. <laughs> But I also could have seen it being like a total rando, this, you know. This is something that I've noticed in David Fincher films is that he really tries not to spoil things. Um, it's, a, it's a really big thing for him not to spoil things in his trailers and everything. Um, like Which I Gone- generally don't like, though. I generally think that's like event filmmaking instead of real filmmaking, because then you can't really rewatch them. But I feel like this one's probably fine. I don't know. Yeah, like this one, I don't think it mattered if we knew who, like that Kevin Spacey was in it. Um, but like something like Gone Girl, uh, have you seen that? Oh, well, yeah, but you you really, that the whole point of Gone Girl is what did, what happens in Gone Girl. No, but like apparently they wanted scenes of her after, like at the point of the movie where we find out she's not dead. Well, that's just and, really irresponsible studio stuff. Yeah, and so he really, he had to apparently fight for that. And apparently he had to fight for the ending of this movie too. I don't exactly know what the alternate ending is, but um, him and both actors fought for the ending that we got. Surely Gillian Flynn would not have let them spoil Gone Girl in the trailer. That's insane. That's the most, <laughs> that, that's, of all the movies, other than maybe The Sixth Sense, I feel like Gone Girl is like, the whole movie is the twist. Yeah. And if you know what happens, like, what is the point of ever watching Gone Girl a second yeah. time? Yeah. Or if you read yeah. the book, why would you watch the movie? Like, I, I remember just- being in the theater in that moment, and it was, it was a moment, just her describing what, like, just the leading up. And it was a good, like, five-minute moment of being like, holy whatever. And I'm sure when he was reading the book, that's what he was going through as well and that he wanted to portray. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's sometimes that's not even, I'm, I'm always hesitant to like give a filmmaker credit for something that's just like fighting against the studios being blatantly idiotic (laughs) because that's insane. Um, But he knows like what, what the audience needs and doesn't need or shouldn't need or whatever. I think that's the point that, should be taken there how much in do you remember seeing trailers for seven do you remember if the premise was in because that was something that was tricky about this one is that like the premise of the movie the description of the movie like on netflix gives away sort of half the fun which is that first first mystery of like what is this guy doing oh i get it it's the seven deadly sins i um i had a feeling seven had to do with something like something in the world that has to do with seven so right once you get this big big guy there um i kind of knew we were probably going into that sort of territory um and then when there was a banker i was like yes we're definitely we're definitely there um well also they one thing i will say i never saw a trailer by the way i just just watched the movie yeah um the they I really could have done without the scrawling of the the words in like blood. 
Um, because I, I was enjoying the mystery of putting it together and like, wait, what? Right. And then having, cause they're, they do try and throw you off. Like there's Morgan Freeman at the very beginning is like, he has seven days less left of work. Like yeah. they plant enough things to explain the title away that you're not the spending week, the whole time being like, okay, what's happening? Yeah. Um, how many, how, how does seven work in and trying to solve that mystery so that you can get a little bit, like a little bit surprised by it. Um, but I liked the mystery of putting it together and then and then trying to remember what the seven deadly sins were and be like, wait, okay, I get it. Um, <laughs> but then once like it was greed was spelt on the carpet in blood, I was like, oh, right. okay. That's yeah, maybe I, I a little think too. It would have been better, like, say in, um, what's the other movie that he had? Uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, where it's a little bit more coded in like religious poetry or something that you have to kind of decipher that this is gluttony instead of it being written on the wall. Yeah. Or even just like literally do the same, the same thing. Like you have to figure out the clues of who the person is plus how they died equals the answer. Yeah. Um, But because they wrote it out and then sometimes they didn't explain it. Like um, the, uh, the sloth Sloth. guy. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like, how he died was interesting, but they didn't explain it well enough. And they certainly didn't explain who he was and how that was sloth. And even in the car ride where he kind of describes the other deaths, he skips over sloth. Yeah. Well, and I also think it's funny, like the idea of the twist at the end of like, ha ha, (laughs) they're not they're The other two people who are dead, who are dying are not dead yet. They're you guys. (laughs) But then you're sort of doing the math in your head and you're like, okay, wrath and envy are left. I can see how we're going to get to wrath. That's no problem. But like envy was a envy. And I thought it was going to be like Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. And that's because that's what made sense. And then envy did not work either way. And so then he was like, I'm envy. (laughs) And I was like, okay, we had a bit of a, we wrote ourselves into a corner and we didn't know how to deal with envy. They should have just added an extra scene because it is a clean two hour movie. Like I enjoyed the pacing. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that it wasn't, didn't have that extra padding, but they could have trimmed a little bit of Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, <laughs> and a little bit of just some, like the big shootout scene runs too long. They could have trimmed a little, added a sixth murder so that we're just doing right. wrath at the end and we're not having to like shoehorn in. I'm envious of yeah. you, I suppose. And then, and then also, I guess if you, if you will, the problem of his, um, his spree is that wrath doesn't die necessarily. Like, well, neither technically does sloth. Technically. Uh, well, well, they say he doesn't have much to live, so he'll probably die eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, and the Gwyneth Paltrow death is not really any of them. No, it she's just incites too, she's the wrath. Incite wrath. Yeah, and maybe, yeah. So it, it, that's sort of weird too, because like, if the whole thing had been not death but destruction of the people who represent these things, a great way to destroy someone's life is to turn them into a murderer. Um, <laughs> I guess maybe if they had, if they had said it in a place this is how you fix it if they'd set it in a place with the with capital punishment and then mentioned that even once solved there you go it's an interesting way of like we leave before long before he dies with the sense of like he gonna die 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was definitely building, like you can tell that they were building Brad Pitt to be wrath in the car ride. Like I remember feeling that the first time watching this movie, I'm like, okay, so Brad is um, wrath here. Now, okay, who's envy? Who's going to be envy? The this car ride out, out to the field at the yeah. end. Yeah. Because yeah, like, like he was getting angry. So yeah. like you, you knew that that was, I don't know. I felt that that was obviously what they were building there. Yeah. It's just the envy doesn't quite add up. Um, it should have, it would have been cleaner if it was Morgan Freeman somehow. But and, I was also the, spending the whole thing suspecting he might be the killer. So <laughs> <laughs> see, I, I don't, I never, I don't think I ever thought that. Um, I just, because of the type of movies that were happening at the time, right, I feel like right. like this happened the same year as Usual Suspects, speaking of Kevin Spacey. <laughs> so there's a real, like, it's definitely one of the people we know thing that I'm trained to, like, that's how my brain works. Um, <laughs> I never expected it to be just like, there's another guy and they catch him. That took me by surprise right. in True Detective, too. I was, like, fully expecting it to be a character we knew. Right, yeah, yeah. Some yeah. dude. They do see that character in True Detective earlier on. Yeah. A couple of episodes before, but yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, um, but then the last two deaths are also, they seem very unplanned with all of his other deaths because it seems like he just is like, okay, I need to speed this up now. But I'm like, okay, but didn't you plan these other two deaths ahead of time? So now you're going to Gwyneth Paltrow and you're going to make this cop wrath and i mean you probably knew all along you were going to be envy i guess but um like he didn't like the wrath part of it falls apart i think in just just because he's very methodical in all of his other deaths yeah that, yeah, um, it is. I think it was a plan, but because it was happening spontaneously and there were like other human elements involved, um, it wasn't as effectively executed or as cleanly executed as the others. He also needed like a detective that would get into that headspace. So like he had to be lucky to get a detective. Like, That's true because he yeah. started planning... Like the sloth thing took a year. Yeah. So he started planning this whole thing before Brad Pitt transferred to town. Yeah. So it wasn't like a long game. It was like he started before knowing how he would end, which doesn't seem like character, but also maybe we're reading too much into it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because it was just like a fun, weird, good time. Yeah. Um, which I don't normally say about like, like really gruesome things. Um. And I do think that this movie was sort of the inspiration for a lot of movies that I think are really horrible and useless and shouldn't exist. (laughs) Um, But this one is done, you know, with enough reasonable restraint that like it's horrific, but it's not like unforgivable. They don't show you that last death. Exactly. Yeah. I actually, I, it took me a couple beats to figure out exactly. I couldn't recognize what the thing was in the photo. And I was like, oh, okay. oh it's happening. <laughs> so, but I obviously appreciated that they didn't. Yeah. There was yeah. like a little bit of restraint. So even though the horrific things were happening, um, it wasn't just like gross horror porn. Yeah. Though I do think you can draw a straight line from this movie and the type of people who would have loved this movie to the horror porn genre. Yeah. 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 It was, you know, it's just, it's, 
bringing them into this world of darkness and we have to see that at some point especially like right away we get it with the first gluttony this very dark yeah, place that's the, gro- that's the gross, gross place well though. no sloth is the worst one but um yeah. the uh what was i gonna say um well yeah because if you don't if the world isn't dark enough morgan freeman's whole character doesn't make sense and his last line yeah. doesn't make sense and the whole point is like i the world is terrible um yeah and and am i and am i just giving up or the it, the the point that brad pitt makes is are you making excuses because you're giving up or are you just giving up or are you giving up because you're making excuses yeah. yes yeah yeah exactly yeah. um yeah i i kind of like that stuff it was it was yeah. very interesting there's like a sort of thematic philosophical thing to untangle this idea of like um you know brad pitt's i like his speech about like i refuse to believe the thing that you believe and you won't talk me into saying that um but at the end of the day morgan freeman comes to like he doesn't he never changes his mind on his viewpoint of the world is terrible Mm -hmm. but he does change his mind on the idea of it not being worth fighting for yeah um so he doesn't actually like i feel like a simpler version of this would have been him journeying from his point of view to Brad Pitt's point of view and discovering, Oh no, it is not actually that bad a place after all. But the idea of like, no, it, I, I've seen it clearly the whole time, but that doesn't mean that I should like stop fighting for it. Yeah. And, stop trying and, to and I'm good at this. And I like, this is my purpose, whatever, like you, it's kind of there too, but yeah, but there's something, there's something really beautiful about like the idea of it is dark and terrible and something doesn't have to be implicitly good to make it worth saving. Um, I really like that Uh, as opposed to the, like if he'd seen the glimmer of beauty (laughs) and then decided it was worth saving. I like the idea of saving the ugly thing. Um, It's cool. And I like that it was only two hours. I was not expecting that. It was a good, good length. Yeah. And it it was paced beautifully. It like, I noticed this right away. Like we, we got straight into it. We lo- knew exactly who our characters were immediately, almost to the point of like a little bit, it was a little bit clunky. There's a nut, there's a detective who says to Morgan Freeman, like, we're certainly not going to miss your detailed question asking. Like, okay, <laughs> we get it. We know who yeah, it is. definitely works with cliches in a good way. Yeah. And she, yeah. she just like explicitly stated something that we could have figured out for ourselves. It was the dialogue equivalent of writing greed and blood on the carpet. Um, But we knew who our people were quickly. We moved right into it. And like we had our, our character set up and the investigation started by minute three. I literally paused at at each of the like milestones because I was intrigued by the pacing. So we were like into the investigation by the third minute and we had locked in the premise of the seven deadly sins by minute 22. That's great. Yeah. Which I just, it was really clean and it was really, um, I think it slows down too much at the end. Um, I think they bring Kevin Spacey in too quickly. Um, but cause then we're just in a field for a while and the <laughs> gun, the gun chase thing is too long, The uh, but it's, yeah. it, I think it's a really good gun chase. <laughs> really? Well, I was also spent the whole gun chase just really, really worried that it was Richard Schiff and I just <laughs> really, really didn't want it to be Richard Schiff. So, yeah. I like on like this is my second time watching it 
And so you knew it wasn't Richard Schiff. So you yeah, I, I knew it wasn't him, but I also <laughs> didn't think it was him last time. But um, uh, I was just surprised that Kevin Spacey is so agile. Oh, it's probably a body double. But oh no, well no, I know. But just like thinking of when once we see this character later on, we realize who he is and that he's so agile. And apparently, he has a limp too. Did he or that's or maybe he had a limp that's very after that? Of him. Um, oh maybe. yeah, he might have gotten hurt during yeah. the chase thing. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, I feel like he has to be at least decently strong in order yeah. to kill as many people as he killed because he had to like. I mean, I guess you could sneak up on them and sedate them all, but in order to physically intimidate and like yeah. literally strap people down, and even just on a very basic physics level, to be able to maneuver the obese guy into the <laughs> positions he wanted. Even if the guy was sedated, especially if the guy was sedated. Yeah. Just the amount, like, he needs to be a fairly, uh, maybe don't cast Kevin Spacey, actually. Maybe somebody strapping <laughs> to play this part. Yeah. He, he definitely has to be intimidated in, in some way, because he also intimidates the guy in, for lust to happen. And, yeah, that one I do know he has a gun, because the guy yeah. brings it up 17 times to yeah. try to explain away his own culpability. Yeah. And they do sort of insinuate he might have had a gun in all these other situations too, like with greed or. I'm sure he did. Um, yeah. So. But um, just like logistically, he had to be like a fairly. We also just like didn't know. We didn't. I mean, I guess that was the point. Like he was John Doe and he never gets a name, but like we don't know anything about him. Yeah. And his apartment is totally overkill. It's also like, huge. It's huge. But also just like, it's all, like everything they need to know about the case is just there, except it's fingerprints. But like, yeah, all of it is there. And I'm just like, wait, what if his landlord stops by? Like, what, like- <laughs> they, I know it's weird because they only explain Sloth's landlord and not his. <laughs> um, but then, I mean, that place, maybe, maybe it just seemed run down and landlords don't care there too. And that's the other thing about this movie is the um, we don't know where this is. They never mention where this is. It's just a scummy place. It's New York. A place you don't want to be. It's New York. But they never they never do mention it. Like they they just say yellow, it's, it's New York. Place. <laughs> but that's I think that's it's part of some sort of myth mythological fantasy part of it. Not knowing. Yeah, like, that makes a, sense. It has a sort of Gothamy. Yeah thing to it yeah 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 um where it's just like a hypothetical terrible place full of villainy um but it's only not new york so that new york didn't get (laughs) mad because you don't want to make them mad yeah and it rains a lot yes apparently the last scene was supposed to have rain in it and it just didn't rain uh uh, it might have been a budget thing but Mm. i would imagine maybe just wait till it rains but i don't know (laughs) (laughs) um i don't know stuff like that i often find it like more effective when it has a contrast to it like when there's like really dark horrible things happening and it's really sunny i find it more effective partly because i'm cynical about like film tools that are all about like trying to force you to feel a certain way with trickery yeah. Like, oh, it's rainy and gray, or the music's doing this, and so you're supposed to subliminal subliminally feel a certain way. Yeah. I'm I'm just skept- I'm cynical about those, but then on the other hand, 
like when you're feeling shitty or there's just bad things happening, when it's relentlessly sunny out, it almost feels like an insult. Like it's irritating in a way that yeah. I think is really effective. Yeah. But um, it's also like a clarity thing maybe, like as a like we're under this rain, this oppressive thing, and that now we're in this open, clear, clear yeah. I, you know. The case is solved and the sunlight is shining on the, <laughs> on, to reveal all the answers. Yeah. And then we go back into the rain right after when he's in the, I think, I think at nighttime they're in the rain again. I'm not sure. Oh, when he's sure, in the car. Sure. Sure. sure, sure yeah. off. I just forgot about that, but um, yeah. it's also in a, what's it? A, Titus, Titus, Shakespeare's Titus. Um, he starts as a dark and armor and he ends up in a white chef kind of coat that there's actually like a, a costume thing going on in, Oh, in Taymor's film version? No, in, in Shakespeare's writing. He like says his... he comes out in a chef's outfit? Well, no, no, no. He's Seems just... unlikely to me. <laughs> no, because he, the character is acting as a chef in that scene. Um, and uh, throughout the, well, it's like his um, wardrobe is mentioned in, in the writing. Oh, they also do that with uh, zero subtlety in Black Swan. She wears sure, yeah. all white at the beginning and then they slowly introduce darkness into her wardrobe until she's wearing all black. Yeah. It's a really subtle film. Darren Aronofsky, another good filmmaker. He, I, <laughs> I would not call him a good filmmaker. I think his best work is extraordinary and his worst work is horrific. <laughs> and there's <laughs> a giant gulf in between. Um, Although I would, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like Fincher's good across the board, but there, is a cer- there are certain movies he's made that just are like bad scripts that were never going to be yeah. good movies. Like Benjamin Button's just bad. Yeah, Benjamin Button, Panic Room are very low on the end of his movies, I would say. But then, you know, like but there's, a, there's a high floor, I would say, with him, but maybe he doesn't have the greatest of script selection abilities. Yeah, I don't like. I don't know what, um, what he's inspired by because he has a. I mean, he he does like this loves investigation. Serial killers. <laughs> yeah, he loves this investigation thing. Like he has a lot of these movies, um, but then he does something like like Fight Club is Fight Club is different. Uh, the game is different. Fight Club is different, but it looks exactly the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like going after the exact same audience, and it's the same. Yeah. tone and a lot of <laughs> similar themes and the game i would say is similar too because the game is in between this movie and fight club mm. um have you seen the game i have not okay that's a really really good movie does that one have brad pitt it does not have brad pitt it has someone else <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure it does um <laughs> My, yeah, Brad Pitt, this movie, I had never seen, other than Thelma and Louise, I'd never seen a movie from this early in his career. And I spent the whole time, I've been on a real Brad kick, Brad Pitt kick since uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I recently rewatched Ocean's Eleven and he is so good in that. He almost steals it from George. He's Clooney, actually, yeah, he's really good in the Ocean movies. So impressive. Um, he's so funny. Uh, but... I don't, this movie reminded me, I, mean, I don't think he's like necessarily the greatest actor, but I think he's just such a great movie star. Yeah. That he's so captivating. Um, but like, 
literal line deliveries. He's there <laughs> against Morgan Freeman. And I'm just like, oh, you just, you're so pretty. Yeah. That's he, your, <laughs> there's, there's his, um, the way that he like shakes his head around and he does these like weird things. Like it, in some movies, in some characters, it definitely does not work. And this one, I don't think it works. Um, but in a movie like 12 Monkeys, it really works. Yeah, he's, that's why I'd say, like, the difference between an actor and a movie star, right? Like, a, a great movie star, if you plug them in correctly, is incredibly effective. Yeah. But they can't necessarily convince you that they're anyone other than who you know them to be. <laughs> right. Um, mannerisms and all. Um, and I don't know that he was super effective here. Also, his uber 90s hair was so distracting. <laughs> it was, like, fifth grade the whole way through. Just spiky. Yeah, that's a weird fun. choice. Well, in 95 it wasn't, but yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> it was a lot, that hair. Um, do you have any, anything else to say about this movie? I feel like we did um, okay with just two. Gwyneth Paltrow? I don't know. I like Gwyneth Paltrow. I know I'm really not supposed to, but I really like her. I think she's, one, I'll always love Shakespeare in Love so much. <laughs> I didn't hate the Goop Lab. I watched every episode. Half of them have that sort of goopy, like, ooh, this might be secretly dangerous kind of thing. But then, and it's like kind of super capitalist and yucky. But then half of them were actually really moving and lovely and kind of amazing and empowering. And I was like, wait a minute. Um, There's one about the female orgasm that is like kind of remarkable that (laughs) they put that on Netflix. Like it was, I don't know. There's, There's more to it than than the sort of negative side of goop that people definitely have a right to talk about. <laughs> um, and then we keep for, for movie club, we've seen a couple of her early things and I just think she's quite delightful. And um, I have no, pr- I like her. I don't know. I you know, maybe, <laughs> I maybe if was, I was supposed to like her, I would like her less because that's my MO. But like, <laughs> I just don't think she was that good in this movie. She was perfectly fine though. All she I had to she's do. she's horrible, but. She's... was be delightful have chemistry with brad pitt and seem like innocent and <laughs> like someone that we want to be alive um and i yeah. think she accomplished that sure yep yeah i don't know i think she, i also this is one 95 i don't know when she sort of came onto the scene if if this is in fact a true statement or not but certainly watching it in 2020 I think that character is really effective cast as someone famous, like somebody that we know, like not necessarily, but like someone we know really well and have known a long time. There's something because with so little, it's sort of what um, we talk about the Irishman a lot, but what um, Scorsese did with um, Anna Paquin's character Mm -hmm. in the Irishman was very controversial because she had nothing to say and he was like you everyone was like you cast Anna Paquin then you didn't do anything with her but that was the point was the idea of like because she has so little to do if you cast somebody who brings a lot to it just with like her baggage of what the audience brings with her. I wanted more of that. Exactly but like if you're not going to structurally give any more to Gwyneth (laughs) Paltrow's character which I don't think they should have as much as I think that like this movie could use a woman or two it like there wasn't really room for her and and putting giving the wife more to do does not actually accomplish anything um it just slows the movie down but if you're going to have that and then we have we have to care deeply about her but we can't spend very much time with her so giving it an actress who we know 
really helps. I think, I think yeah. that's a good. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Like, yeah. Having a, a known actress, a familiar face, one yeah. that we know is important. Which works uh, really well in retrospect. I don't know if in 1995 <laughs> that right. was a thing. Right. Yeah. Um, I think the pregnancy thing, like we didn't need in this film. I agree. That was one of those, they didn't trust us to care enough about her. So they gave her an interview. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah. I think maybe, I think just the ending of him shooting Kevin Spacey um, is a little drawn out, is drawn out a little too long. And, and I think maybe David Fincher today would make that quicker. Um, a quicker I don't moment. think so. I think Dave, uh, David Fincher today would have made this movie two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, I, I see that too. It was two hours long. I just I think, think that moment, I think he's really big on, uh, like he'll get the, this happens, this happens, this happens. And there's like, there's less of a, a, a long thinking period. I think there was just too much tension being brought in that scene and that he was shaking his head a little bit too much before deciding to kill him. Um, like there was like l- maybe like two or three cuts I'm talking about in that final scene. Just the, the moment of him finding out it's his wife. I agree that it should be shorter. I don't <laughs> necessarily agree that modern David Fincher would have made it shorter. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But I agree that it, it should be. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I was I was uh, not necessarily surprised, but like d- delighted that I you know it's been a while since I really liked one of the ones that I hadn't seen before on Corona Movie Club. <laughs> um, so yeah, I that was this was a, a nice, solid, dependable movie that I had not seen, and I am now glad that I have seen. Great. So, I hope you see the game. It's it's I it's better. It's like he improves. <laughs> I will. I mean, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with the social network and I think Fight Club is, you know, both underrated and overrated. Yeah. Uh, it, it's underrated because it got so overrated, but I do think the, the backlash was a little too harsh um, because I think it's a little bit more evolved than people, like a lot of really terrible bros misunderstood it and then <laughs> elevated it and then, but they missed the point and I think that um, remembering that there's more to it than what they saw is important. Yeah. Um, so I like Fight Club. I love the social network. I'm not like super attached to him as a director in general. I don't like a lot of his newer stuff, but uh, I don't know. I mean, you can coast on a movie as good as a social network forever for me, with me. <laughs> you make one movie that good and I'll trust you forever. So that's fine. I, I think his best right now is Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I actually think he did a really great job with that movie. Um, I did not actually see that movie. Oh, okay. Uh, I really don't like Daniel Craig. So that wasn't like a good <laughs> reason. I just, I just missed it, but I also was not motivated to see it uh, because I don't really, uh, I haven't, I've, there's a lot of David Fincher where I'm like, meh. And then I don't, I really don't like <laughs> Rini Mara and I really don't like Daniel Craig. And I was like, well, this one can maybe not happen for me. And like, I've also <laughs> seen the Swedish versions. Um, I hear that's also- very good. The yeah, they're good. I, they're actually really good um, as well. There's just some intensity that Fincher brings. I guess American filmmaking, whatever you want to make it, call yeah. it. Yeah. Just okay. different strokes, I guess. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you remember what we're doing Wednesday? Because I don't. Uh, on my calendar, 
let's see here. Behind the Curve. Ooh, I think that's a documentary. I don't think I've seen that. I think it's about flat earthers. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. <laughs> It'll be good. I'm excited. Okay. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah. Talk to you then, Vargo. Okay, see you. Bye.